Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 167 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, look, I know I talk about being pissed my pants excited, but seriously, this is one of my favorite authors, and like, you're gonna have to excuse the fangirling because I literally couldn't hold my shit together. (laughs) This was an incredible episode. Yeah, okay, sure, I'm biased. I adore Scarlett, but um, she is also a fucking powerhouse of female empowerment and just like, oh God, I don't know. I just like girl crush, complete author crush, like all of the crushes. She was incredible. I adore her. Please go read all of her fucking books. All right. But yes, where are we? I don't even know where I am. I can't even do the fucking intro. I'm so excited. But yes, Scarlett Sinclair, that's what today's episode is. It's all about fantasy romance. And yes, I'm excited, excited, excited. But first to last week's question, which was, what have you learned about yourself this year? So Kerry Hardisky said, something I've learned about myself is that I suck at self-care. Something as simple as taking my medication every day and drinking water. Screaming with a Charlie horse cramp in my leg because I'm dehydrated is not my favorite way to wake up. So I'm setting setting up my 2023 planner. I'm leaving intentional space for that. I think that like we are all quite bad at self-care. I don't know why, but I also think that the pandemic really uh, like alerted us to the fact that we need to do self-care. And that self-care is more than just time off. You know, sometimes self-care means reading or having a bath or weirdly, sometimes self-care means going to the gym and beasting yourself. Like, I don't don't really understand how that works, but it's true. Definitely, it's true for me. I am finding that I am a complete slut for dopamine and uh, endorphins and I am more tired because I go to the gym, but also less tired. I don't, like, I'm not a scientist. I don't know how this fucking works. But anyway, the point is, it's extremely difficult to actually fit that time in. Uh, But we have to, we have to make time for that because ultimately, if you are in a better position physically, mentally, medically, then you are able to work smarter, faster, better, be happier. So like, yeah, be kind to yourselves, guys. N.L. Blanford says, oh goodness, I learned exactly what my capacity for all of the things, uh, 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 sorry, I learned exactly what my capacity is for all of the things. Uh, and that phrase, oh my goodness, how many of us like suffer with that, with, with that uh, mindset as well. I know that I for sure always live wanting to do all of the things. My husband's health plummeted and I'm now managing the home, full-time work and writing. Wow. It has meant that writing has taken a back seat. However, by resting, it's meant more time to think about characters, plot ideas and future dreams. It also meant screams of frustration and cursing the world, but science says that's good for you, right? Absolutely swearing is totally good for you. Tessa says, I received my fibromyalgia diagnosis this year and had to learn a lot about energy management. I still suck at it, but I'm learning. So this is, I'm so sorry because my wife has chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and they, there is just, it's a, a fucking awful thing to experience, like, and it's an awful thing to witness because, you know, I have to watch the person that I love suffer and 
there's like no identifiable cause and like no cure and just I'm really really sorry that you um have this diagnosis I hope that you can take some time for yourself too Marin Corcoran says, uh, this episode was awesome. This year I learned my strengths. Yay! Uh, and the strengths are uh, intellection, strategic, learner, empathy, developer. Everyone take a shot. Yes, please. I'm still learning how best to lean into my strengths, but that's one of my 2023 girls. Oh, I fucking love this. Welcome, darling, to the rabbit hole. Heather Button says, this year I wasn't just wasn't surprised to learn my strengths. Oh, another strengths one. My strengths are input and learner first, which also explains why I'm addicted to courses and why my output will never be that of a book a month author. And that life can and will throw me for a loop. And as long as I'm still making progress, it counts. A fucking men. Yes, it does count. Everything counts. Every word you put down counts. Hey, this week's question is, tell me something positive. And the reason that I'm saying this is because I'm in quite a good place at the moment like and nothing has changed like my life hasn't changed I haven't suddenly had a breakout series I haven't suddenly published and you know paid my mortgage off I I still have bills to pay I still you know I'm still doing a little bit of freelance work like nothing has changed I'm still tired I still have to do all the adulting and parenting things but I feel better like and I think this is about one, the fact that I have been doing coaching, like I do strengths coaching every 10 days, and I think that's making a huge difference. And the other reason is I think I genuinely think that the amount that I go to the gym is really helping. So I do go to boot camp five times a week, and I am a complete slut for dopamine and uh, endorphins, which I've already said to you, but I really genuinely mean it. And I think slowly but surely, those hormones are changing my life like and I'm feeling a lot more positive all of the time even though I still have the same struggles the same deadlines the same uh, restricted amount of time to work but anyway one of the things that I thought that we should do together is to talk about some positive stuff and I know that some of you might not be in a positive place and that's okay if you don't have anything to share but maybe you know somebody in your life who has something positive happening to them then share that instead um, and I thought it was time to bring us all a little bit of joy something else that I have been consuming is a Instagram profile uh, from a gentleman called Tom Trotter underscore. I will leave the link in the show notes. Uh, but oh my goodness me, this guy, if he is not number one positivity, then I don't fucking know who is. But he is a ray of fucking delightful rainbows. And he brings me so much joy every day. He gets up at like fucking but fuck o'clock in the morning. I don't even know what time he gets up, but it's some disgusting hour anyway. And uh, does a workout, like a weights workout. Then he goes for a 10K run. And then he does just like, I, he just plays and just is full of joy his whole life. He, he's a sports coach uh, or, or a, a, um, a workout coach. I don't know what the right phrase is. Anyway, and he produces all this absolutely ridiculous content. And he just has zero fucks to give. Like he'll walk around in like sparkly sequins and fucking, uh, <laughs> I don't know what else. But anyway, he's bananas. And um, yeah, he is just full, full, full of joy and positivity and like happiness for life. And so I wanted to share his profile with you. Like do yourselves a favor and go and consume content from him and live with me with joy. 
Okay, the book recommendation of the week this week is not a book either. It's a Netflix show. One of the reasons is because I have been, uh, I have slowed down my reading a little bit recently because I've been watching this TV show, but also because uh, I have been reading an arc. Uh, Christina Stanley of uh, Fictionary.co is uh, releasing a book on editing in the new year. And so I have been uh, arc reading that and uh, therefore I don't really have any recommendations for stuff that's out at the minute. I've, I, in fact, in the last month, I think I've read four or five arcs, which is why it's very difficult for me to recommend anything this month. Anyway, so the TV show that I'm recommending is Tim Burton's remake of The Addams Family, which is called Wednesday. Now, so much of my life <laughs> and personality can be explained by the fact that my two favourite shows as a child, yes, child, not teenager, as a child, were The Addams Family and Beetlejuice. Like, <laughs> That probably explains everything about me. Uh, however, Wednesday was my fucking idol. Like I would dress up as her. I would want to. I would want to do Halloween as her. Like I would watch the shows right the way from the original black and white version, uh, all the way through to every single cartoon movie, every single uh, um, feature film that has been out. And I know most of them off by heart, <laughs> like all the words. But anyway. So I have been watching Wednesday and I have actually emailed Becca sign because I am so fucking curious. But um, having watched it now as an adult, having some knowledge of Clifton's strengths, I'm pretty sure that Wednesday is high competition and high self-assurance, which explains so much of why she was my idol, right? Because I could see myself in her. And uh, I, I think that is a reminder why everybody needs to, like every, why everybody's book needs to be in the world. Uh, because people need to see themselves in fiction. And so your words matter, your words count, and somebody out there needs to read them. Somebody out there needs to feel seen by your story. So I don't know, like maybe take this as a kick up the arse that even if you think your story is weird and kooky or whatever, there is gonna be some young girl, some young boy out there who needs to read that story and feel seen. Anyway, Wednesday. Seriously, second time I'm gonna say this today, but do yourself a favor and go watch it. All right, so in personal news and updates then this week, I sent the audiobook off to the Masterer uh, last week, but in about of poor timing, the Masterer is off on holiday. So actually, though, I say that, and by the time this airs, the book will be back with me. So I will be uploading it immediately to ACX and Findaway. Uh, and to my own website as well. Obviously, I can't tell you when ACX will load it, but I am hoping maybe before Christmas. Otherwise, it will be a New Year launch. And actually, to be honest with you, um, even if it does go live at this point, because we're so close to Christmas, I may just do official announcements and things in January. Uh, and But what I will do is I will tell my mailing list. So if you are um, on my mailing list, and if you're not on my mailing list, then maybe it's time to get on my mailing list, which I will leave a link to in the show notes. But yes, I will do updates uh, first and foremost to my mailing list, and then I will start announcing it everywhere, and I'll do a... Um 
like a bonus episode on the podcast as well and sort of give you guys an, an excerpt from it. I am I'm really proud of this audiobook. Obviously, it was my second one, so I learned a lot of lessons. But also, I just, yeah, I had so much fun recording it. And uh, yeah, so I hope you guys enjoy it when it finally airs. But at least it is done. So in other stuff, then, I have been working on the Pro Writing Aid edit of the, oh, I nearly told you then, of the Secret Pen Name book. I have had quite a few people ask me if I am going to um, release like the name and maybe is the answer I think I said this once before um I don't plan on announcing anything immediately but uh maybe later um uh one thing I might do though is that I know a f- I know of a few listeners in particular who read the genre that I am writing and so I might reach out to you guys directly if you can swear to secrecy um uh, in in order to ask if you would be willing to read an arc so yeah might be might might be reaching out to some of you soon um but yes so I am doing the pro writing aid edit and it's going off to the editor hopefully next week very, very close to the end. So I really want to try and get through that um, as soon as possible in the next couple of days. And then in terms of the run up to Christmas, I am mostly going to be doing things like setting up the new website, setting up a new mailing list, setting up new autoresponders, uh, researching like Facebook groups and targets and uh, graphics and getting the book cover finalized and ordering proofs and sending out arcs and all of the shit (laughs) that I haven't had to do in a really long time because everything was already set up and established. So I'm kind of like equally filled with joy and excitement and pure fucking dread over like the mountainous to-do list that I have to do. But anyway, uh, the other, t- the last two things that I will be doing before Christmas, before I take some time off, uh, is two reader magnets, a cold reader magnet for new readers and a warm reader magnet for the back of the book. Uh, that, that one's half written already. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm trying really hard to just do this the right way this time. And so I think that even if I don't tell you the exact name of the pen name and the title of the book um I might do a lessons learned because you guys know that I love to do to do like a review and I do do try to do lessons learned uh, as much as possible so that might be something that I try and do for you whilst keeping it still secret I don't know I don't know I'll I'll see how easy that would be without giving you the specifics okay so we are on to rebel of the week this week now listen I'm gonna say this up front and first I'm just gonna level with you we are down to the last two rebellions and both of those rebellions are from the same person and I won't read a rebellion from the same person two weeks like more than one week running so after I read next week's rebellion, there are no more rebellions. (laughs) So we really, 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 really need you to email in your stories. I love, love, love Rebel uh, Rebel of the Week. And it's like one of my favorite things to do. So please, uh, if you have a story or if you know somebody who has a story that would be willing, please nudge them and get them to email in their story. You can email your Rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, it doesn't have to be a big rebellion. It can be anything. Okay, Rebel of the Week is 
Lena Johnson. Lena says, I, this laboratory I worked for was an absolute shit show and at one point the lab manager was put on administrative leave while issues were being addressed. This was absolute bullshit as the lab manager had, uh, had the owner in her back po- pocket and we knew it was merely a formality. Anyway, as the most senior lab tech, it fell to me to take on the role of acting lab manager in the meantime. I hated it, but it was nice not to have the manager around. During this week, one of the junior lab techs informed me that she was quitting and was putting in her notice. She gave, I think, a week and a half which is not required, but a nice courtesy. Later that day, I received a call from the owner asking if I knew about the two lab techs quitting. I told her I only knew about one. Well, why don't you know? You're the acting lab manager, she yelled. And I do mean yelled. I bit back some choice words and said that I only knew what I knew. The discussion turned towards towards the tech's notice of a week and a half. I don't want her around, the owner said. If she wants to quit, then there's no reason for her to stay. I want her out right now. I complied with her wishes and made the poor tech stop in the middle of her work to turn in her key and I sent her home. I actually hated this job with every fibre of my being and I had been dreading putting in my own two weeks notice in the most toxic environment I've ever experienced. I didn't want to just be a no-show because that would make them badmouth me. However, our discussion gave me the escape that I needed and that weekend I told her that I was resigning my position and as per our verbal discussion there was no reason for me to stay and I would not be coming in on Monday. I couldn't have faced working there another second and to this day I have no regrets. I fucking love that. I love that you used their own vicious words against them. (laughs) Oh, how devious. I love it. No new patrons today, but a huge thank you to Sparky Hazard who did up their pledge. And also, I still love your name. I think it's fantastic. A huge thank you to all of my existing patrons. I love you guys. You guys helped keep the show running and you helped pay for my time as well. Like these things take a long time, especially when, like this morning, I recorded this whole episode and then lost it because of a software update. Two hours of work, poof, gone. Anyway, my point being, I'm extremely grateful because you guys literally are the best. You you helped, like I've said, you helped to keep the show running. If you guys would like to get early access to all of the episodes, and in fact, I'm going to tell you what you actually get because I don't think I actually go into this very often. But at the $2 level, you get access to all of the shows early. They release on Sundays before the Wednesday that they air. And once a month, I run Poison and Prose, which is a writing sprints session with time and space for question and answers. So if you have questions for me, you are more than welcome to ask them. At the $5 level, you get access to that. And you also get access to the Rebel Slack community chat group, which is where um, it's a phenomenal community, really active, everybody helping and supporting each other. And it's also where we run most of the communications for the the quarterly Rebel Challenge. So if you want to get shit done, then you can use the Rebel Challenge. We have a spreadsheet that we all share to put our goals on and update. And then each week somebody hosts and does all kinds of different stuff from uh, sprints to um, prompts to questions to all, yeah, all different kind of things. 
And then if you are at the $15 a level month, uh, subscription, subscription, Patreon, well, membership, whatever it is, uh, if you're at the $15 level, then you get all of the above and you also get the quarterly masterclasses. So each quarter we pick a topic or a book and then we read it together and then I deconstruct that book, pulling out all of the tools, tricks and methods and strategies that the author uses. And I do a full on class presentation. It's, it's a full presentation with slides and everything. Uh, and it lasts between 90 minutes and two hours and there's there's time for questions and I will show you all of the things that the author does. The next class is on mythology retellings and sexual tension and that will be in February so you need to sign up now if you want access to that and then um you, we also run a quarterly movie night. So we usually watch a film in connection with um, the uh, class or book that we are doing. And um, so I don't actually know what the next one is going to be, but we do that. And that is actually open to everybody because we don't do any class discussion in that. So even if you're at the $2 level, you can come and join us for a movie night and eat popcorn and chat in the chat <laughs> rather than out loud because everybody hates people if you talk during the movie. Uh, but yes, okay, so... This week, the episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid. So rather than me tell you how awesome Pro Writing Aid is, given that I've already told you once that I'm using it this week, I'm going to let one of my patrons, Lynn, tell you all about it. Pro Writing Aid isn't just for your manuscript. Don't get me wrong, it's great for that. But it's also for your website content, your newsletter, and your social media posts. You can copy and paste any text into the web editor or use one of its many software integrations so you can edit anything and everything you ever type. Because let's face it, you can't really copy edit your own work. You miss something. And I, for one, am fed up of crafting my messaging, hitting tweet, and immediately spotting a typo. There's nothing left to do then but curse the Twitter gods for not giving us an edit button. Pro Writing Aid is an editing tool for formal reports to Instagram posts. Not only does it help with catching those annoying typos, but it flags when I've slipped into using passive voice and it suggests fixes and explains the problem so that I can learn for the future and write better content. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am basically piss my pants excited for today's guest because it is none other than Scarlett Sinclair. Scarlett is the best-selling author of the Hades and Persephone saga, the Hades saga, King of Battle and Blood, and When Stars Come Out. She has a master's degree in library science and information studies and a bachelor's in English writing. She is also a proud citizen of the Muscogee Nation. She is obsessed with Greek mythology, murder mysteries, and the afterlife. I am also obsessed with death, by the way. Scarlett is uh, based in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Well, hello and welcome. Hi, <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for coming on. I'm literally delirious with excitement because I absolutely adore your books. So um, I can't wait to dive into uh, all of the amazing stories that you have written. Before we get into the juicy details, I wondered if you could tell everyone a little bit about your personal journey and kind of how you got to where you are today, because you've had an, an incredible journey. So yeah, tell, tell everyone about it. <laughs> yeah it's a it's an interesting it's interesting to look at it I think but uh you know I, I I read the Lord of the Rings when I was 13 and decided I wanted to be a world famous author <laughs> and I just sort of set about trying to do that from the beginning and I think there's a lot of beauty to ignorance um 
it lets you dream. And um, sometimes I, I feel like it's nicer to keep your dreams secret so people can't uh, tear them down because they will give them a chance. But yeah, every decision I made from that point forward was focused on becoming a full-time author from the degrees I chose, both English writing and library science. Um, and, you know, I had chosen to self-publish back in 2014 when I just kept getting like, no, 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 from the traditional world because I did try that avenue and you know I kind of failed miserably at that and I was like I'm going to take a break and, and focus on my writing and then in 2018 I published When Stars Come Out which is a was a YA novel that was relaunched this year yeah and just just, just brought that one it's yeah on shelf, actually it's somewhere. beautiful I'm very proud of it and uh, and yeah I never thought it would get a second life but here we are and uh yeah and then I in the next I had a choice to make. I was like, do I write a sequel to that or do I start on something new? And I felt really good about a Hades and Persephone retelling. I had bouncing in my head since like 2016 and I felt really ready to dive into romance. And so I did. And, um, you know, the rest was kind of uh, history. But with that book, I never considered doing the traditional route because I didn't think anyone would want it. And that was very true for a very long time, even when I did well even when I was selling really well as a self-published author. So, you know, my whole journey as a self-published author was um, proving people wrong. And I think it still is in a lot of ways, even though I've been picked up by the traditional uh, sphere, um, you know, you still have to come back from people telling you no. And, uh, you know, so yeah, so my, um, I guess my sort of <laughs> trademark has become, to proving people wrong and I really like it and <laughs> um so one day no one will question me I think but yeah it's it was a it was oh, no. definitely a crazy ride I, I disagree I think the more you succeed the more people question you but those people Maybe. can go fuck themselves you know so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it's very interesting I think well and I think it it depends on what side you fall on right the bigger you get the more people kind of hate read you and want to dislike you for whatever reason you know and uh, very recently I have had to come back from sort of caring what people think and being like well fuck that I'm not gonna care what anyone thinks I'm just gonna do what I love because that's how I started this journey that's that's how I got this far so why would I change and yeah so it's been an interesting ride for sure <laughs> it is um, it is so difficult though because no matter how hard we train ourselves to have that like external um cope thick skin whatever you want to call it there are still some comments that can cut to the core of who we are and then even if people don't mean them intentionally like intentionally not like nastily some people do but even if they don't mean it nastily sometimes like we can take them incorrectly like I had somebody make a comment um a few years ago and it literally stopped me writing for six months like I did not write a word for uh, six months yeah, because of what this person had said and and I don't think they meant it intentionally and it's only through like I've had a lot of coaching to like come out the other side um of that but yeah um the thing that I I loved what you said was about keeping dreams secret and yeah. um I am definitely uh, uh 
what's the word um I can overshare particularly on a podcast because it's just me talking <laughs> to the podcast and so I'm like and blah 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 you know and then before I know it I'm fucking telling everyone everything but I've just started a secret pen name and oh my nice. god it is yeah. the most freeing delicious thing I have ever fucking done and I do not give a fuck I'm writing whatever the fuck I want and it is literally <laughs> the best fucking thing I have ever done I mean I've got like you know if I'm lucky enough it goes nuts then obviously it completely fucked again <laughs> but you know I'm enjoying it whilst we're here um yeah, I, so, yeah. I, you know I write under a pen name and I started that because I, I that was the whole point is that I needed a way to separate and to protect my mental health and I think as an author you have to do what you can to protect your mental health so, so you for have, me that looked like taking away tags on Instagram because I people will tag you in bullshit and I'm like uh, no I'm not going to do that I'm not going to give you access to me if you're going to abuse it. But I think social media gives people the platform to just say whatever they think. Even yep. on posts where someone loves a book, someone will comment and be like, I hated that. It's typically my fucking TikTok you're saying that on. And so I call people out when they post on my own TikTok because, you know, you need to, everyone needs to start paying more attention. And especially in a post trauma world of covid where people mm -hmm. are just very unstable you never know whose feelings you're gonna hurt or what you're going to do to them well the thing that i really dislike is that everybody's billy fucking big balls in front of a screen but they never say yeah. it to your face right whereas like you know i like yeah i i have an issue because i if i think something i will just say it like like because that's what being authentic is but of course you know anyway we don't we don't have to dive into like ranting <laughs> about fucking social media because like like i am withdraw i've withdrawn from a lot of social media just because i it's just Same. it can be a cesspit yeah yeah um there was something else i was going oh so so you have more than one pen name you write under more than one pen name uh not now no oh, okay. before I did I had I wrote under my real name and then I didn't like that I used to think like I want everyone to know like who I was and now I'm like fuck that it's overrated it's shitty it's like it's not fun I didn't like that my coworkers knew what I was doing so when yeah. I launched under my pin name when I went to quit it was kind of surprising because people didn't know how like popular I'd really gotten and uh, so that was fun but yeah it was just an easier way to to really mentally for me separate from the stuff that happens out there because like mm -hmm. I am a person I'm a real person I have real thoughts and feelings you know mm -hmm. I have real relationships and I have real you know like I I always use this example because it's the thing that hits like has hit me the hardest which is I've lost my dad uh two years ago to COVID and like I have real issues like we all have real issues so it's easier to sort of insulate myself from these people who don't know me, but sure in, infer a lot, good or bad. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, you know, it helps because I, I do have like high anxiety. I have general anxiety disorder. I, you know, can get into really bad space with my anxiety and people out there make it worse. And, you know, unintentionally or intentionally, I just decided to do that to protect myself and to give myself freedom. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like I let a lot of people, someone commented actually on my Facebook today and they said, I don't feel like I can write romance because I want my family to read my books. And I was like, I've never <laughs> not done something for the, for my, the fear of my family. I was like, if you don't want to write romance, like don't write it because people will know you don't want to do it. Um, but also who cares if your family does read romance. So I, it was, it never came from a point of like, I have to hide what I'm doing. It was just to protect myself. 
Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. And thank you for sharing that as well. Um, secondly, I love you. And this podcast, everybody listening is going to love you. So <laughs> you're in safe space right now. Um, and thirdly, yeah, that's really interesting about the um, the family comment. Funnily enough, my stepdad actually has been encouraging me to write in this particular genre that I'm writing in. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, you, I can't, you don't can't know. read this. Who <laughs> doesn't even know? No. I'm like, thank you, but we're done now. My but, um, dad, he would read my YA books and I'm sure he, I'm certain he wondered why I would never let him read the new ones. But, uh, you know, I didn't want him to... <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah I, I think that's interesting I, I think I think there's an assumption that people think like if you write romance you'll be a popular author on book talk and I'm like you can just write something that you love and yeah. then you know I, I do believe that people can tell if you loved what you wrote so yes. yeah uh, but also this is supposed to be fun I know it's a job some to some authors it is a job but I'm doing this for fun like I want this to be you know, I want to have a blast writing books and, and who, whatever outside of me will, is going to steal that fun. Uh, they don't belong here. Um, yeah. I so completely I just thought that agree. Was interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, it's so funny because that particular comment about this being joyful and fun, I cannot tell you in the last month, I probably I've had that conversation five times of which three were on podcasts. It ju- it is, yeah. it is something in the air. It is in the community. And uh, I was talking to a friend about how I'd taken the rod out of my asshole. And now I was just writing for joy. And like, I took it to an extreme and it is the best no, fucking thing no I've ever written. <laughs> yeah, there's no extreme. I think it's so interesting because people online take themselves so seriously. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I come from a librarian background and it's interesting because I feel like sometimes people in the world think that we shouldn't have opinions on how books are consumed. But I, I don't like this concept of sort of shaming people for what they're reading And I think if you're not careful with how you recommend books or review books, you can really turn people away from reading stuff they really love. I use Twilight as an example. I loved Twilight. I don't fucking care what anyone says. Yeah, there was such a, I mean, a diehard love for Twilight. And then all of a sudden people started to make fun of it, especially in, you know, the greater media. And then it wasn't fun. It wasn't good to like it anymore. Whereas that book, you know, got a lot of people into reading. There's no reason we should be shaming it. Um, So I just, you know, I have some, I have strong opinions about how we choose to talk about books and and how we can scare people off from writing and reading um and those are two things that are like the backbone of our society exactly (laughs) I I have always been a bibliophile and I am Mm -hmm. a queer woman I married a woman we have a child like I am living my dream and uh yet up until last year I had never read a queer book so like wow. I wow yeah I know wow right? yeah I know God. <laughs> like how how did that happen exactly but so this has been like a whole awakening for me like yeah. over the last kind of 18 <laughs> months to be like this is a whole fucking thing that exists and reading has changed for me because now I get to read books where I see myself in those books and I had never done that and I'd and I got to the point where I was well, like, honestly, I don't just consume it. Were, <laughs> were they there? Did you have those? Well, you didn't have those growing up. Yeah, no, I and didn't. I, rem- I remember, I'll say like when I remember the first time I, um, we, the first time in my childhood where I realized that there like gay people existed and it was a kid 
Colin in our middle school who came out as gay and he and yeah and 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 it was so bizarre to watch like people fight him for it like literally in the in the at, at, in the morning like before we went inside for school people were fighting him for who he was and because we had never encountered that in media before or in in books and it because it didn't exist um so you, i mean obviously honestly you probably didn't have access and i think self-publishing gives a voice to people who to minorities because traditional publishing likes to pretend they're diverse and they're really yeah. not <laughs> Yeah, amen to that. Okay, I, I literally, I could talk to you all night, but I'm acutely aware I've actually got I questions know. I'm supposed to be asking question. you. <laughs> um, okay, so you write fantasy romance. Can you explain a little bit about what that actually is and how it differs from both fantasy and romance, like in their pure forms? I think I have my own definition, like likely everyone does, but I just, I feel like if you write fantasy romance, the romance and fantasy plots are sort of equal. Um, whereas, but then again, I will say, like, I feel like the first book in every one of my series is more fantasy for, or more romance forward. And then the subsequent books are more fantasy forward. So I just think it's, it probably more so is just how the the balance of the plot plays out and you know um and and you know i and it could be anything with romance that has fantastical elements um but it's it's difficult for me to put into words because you know a lot of times people think romances don't have plot but plot is just a series of actions and romance is a series of actions toward falling in love you know so if that's your primary plot then i think your romance plot comes first and then if if you're it's more fantastical like we're going on an adventure you know like that's our primary quest then you probably have fantasy forward but a, a good mix of both probably means you're writing fantasy romance now the scale of, of romance is very wide we all know that well maybe we don't because people put me in the erotica category and i don't write erotica i just i write <laughs> like romance i write you know I don't know how to explain it, but I don't Steamy? write erotica. It's not, yeah, no, it's steamy, I guess, I, but not I even think, like. I always think erotica is more kink. And, but I don't know, I'm probably getting that wildly wrong. I don't, I'm not very say, good with the definitions, but yeah, steamy. I would maybe. say kink is probably like a, like a subset, but erotica okay. is where like the main like plot is basically just sex. Right, okay. Um, and, you know, eventually like, like love springs from that. Um, but, you know, like, so it's interesting. There's a lot of conversation yeah, you around it. And that's not what you do. You no, have tons no, and of I think plot it's in so yours. Misleading. Yeah. I think it's so misleading for people to be like, you know, so I, I, I stumbled upon this TikTok one time that was bitching about how my books didn't have plot. And I was like, I don't know what books you're reading. Like, <laughs> I don't know. What, what do you think plot is? I, I just want to educate people on like these definitions because, you know, it, it it's the 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 argument over romance is something that society has like ingrained in our brains, and and we have to like disconnect from that programming to see like the truth of like what the romance category really is. Um, I mean, we see it every time a romance author gets really popular. The media is like has a field day, like making fun of the woman who wrote the book series, you know? Yeah, so. well, she can laugh the other side of her fucking dollars. So, you know. Yeah, yeah I know. I know. I'm just like, oh, God, you guys are really jealous, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. I, I, as you can tell, I have a lot of opinions about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I love it. I love it. Lay them all on me. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, I am very opinionated. So, yeah. I'm giving good company. It works. Yeah. <laughs> 
so you've talked a little bit about um, balancing the fantasy and the romance, but like at the at the craft level, how do you do that? How do you know where the line is? How how do you know how much fantasy to put in versus how much romance you need to put in? Um, especially because like in the Hades and Persephone, you've also woven in like the Greek mythology. Um, so yeah, is it like a beats and structure thing? Is it about like uh, stripping out world building? I don't know. Are there any kind of helpful tips or hints that you've got um, for mastering it the way that you've done? Oh gosh, I don't. I don't do anything like that. I wish I could. I wish I could be like, yes, it is this formula <laughs> I use. Um, I don't know. I um, so I and I think sometimes for Hades and Persephone because it's such a. Um, I feel like Hades and Persephone is such a um, fandom. I know what my fandom really likes. And so I I will add like extra sex scenes that I might not add if I was um, not catering to them. Uh, like I would be like, oh, this would happen in the background and be extra content. But because I'm writing for this group of people, I'm like, uh, you know, I love it too. So I don't mind adding it. Um, but I kind of just go based on feeling, uh, the fun part about Greek mythology in particular is, um, I just really love finding clever ways to not only make it new, but give a nod to like ancient Greek mythology and adding all those Easter eggs into the books is like the funnest part for me. And I get so excited when someone like rec recognizes my brilliance, uh, <laughs> because, because I have been, you know, a lot of people think that you know think a lot of things about my books like they hate them they think like one person was like if you love Greek mythology you probably won't like these books and I'm like that's the opposite of that is the complete opposite of, of who the are these fucktards um, that keep interacting <laughs> with you <laughs> yeah I don't know I don't know man but I um but yeah so I so it's interesting that's it's like the funnest thing for me right to just like you know and I would say like my fantasy you know I I it's like KBB is kind of high fantasy, but I would say that if you're new to fantasy, it might be a good option for you to like segue into higher fantasy because I don't do heavy world building at the beginning. It's all slowly sort of built into the plot, like mm -hmm. because I feel like I lead with my characters. And so as they're experiencing the world, you're learning the world too, which is the interesting thing about Hades versus Persephone, because from her point of view, she's very limited, you know, experiences, whereas Hades has like more experiences. He knows the world better. He interacts with gods. You know, he, you just see the world differently from both of their points of view. Um, so I would say like, maybe the tip is to, <laughs> um, the funny Innuendo, um, is <laughs> to lead with your characters and see where they take you because they'll tell you like they'll tell you when they want to have sex they'll tell you when you know they'll tell you when they want to like climb a mountain literal something yeah yeah uh, <laughs> so but I mean yeah I um and it's not that I don't outline because I do outline but the story beat structures has never been one that's like for me. And the way that I outline is like, I write as much as I possibly can before I sit back and say like, okay, I've got to organize this. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I only, I outline like after I've probably written like 40 K or something. Um, but by then, you know, I have a good hold on what I want my story to be. And I'm not wasting time. Like I wouldn't have that idea if I hadn't spent the time, like just exploring. So yeah, it's kind yeah. of free writing first, but 
I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, it is. So um, just for listeners, KBB is King of Battle and Blood, and oh, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. vampire um, kind of fantasy uh, romance, uh, and it's brilliant. And I've already recommended it on the podcast, so everybody's already going to know anyway. Um, and uh, the other thing that I wanted to come back on. So, yeah, so you mentioned about the the retelling, and I'm fascinated by this. Mm. But I've been reading quite a few retellings recently, um, and what are the kind of the easter eggs that you have like can you just give a couple of examples oh of those easter eggs or or the or your favorite bits that you like to pull on like do you have like, oh. what's your favorite <laughs> twist on it or yeah like how did you know like what how did you know what to keep authentic to the the original myth versus or how did you decide or yeah because that was like that that is one of the challenges is like um so there's like uh oh god I, it's been so long since I've worked on these um <laughs> that's okay that's okay there's a set of twins in malice that I had to make up because for instance uh I think oh god see my brain is like there's a set of twins I had to make up because uh the real set of twins I was going to use who were demigods I had always already referenced their mother in the past who I think is Medea I could be wrong and I was like oh so at first I was using the set of twins for you know in the present and I was like wait a minute I have to make them up because you know like they're gone the their mothers in the past they wouldn't probably I probably wouldn't you know they they died they died Apollo killed them basically and I was like okay can't use them and I could be wrong I could be wrong about misremembering that but one of my favorites is in Retribution, and it is a reference to, um, let me grab the book because I will forget this, and um, I can't, you know, it's been a long time. <laughs> yep. a if I, if I don't create those world Bibles, I don't remember shit. <laughs> I know, I'm just like, oh, fuck, what did I do? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes. Okay. So there is a giant. He's like 100 hand giant, uh, Briarius. I can't say it's Briarius. And um, so I put him in the present, but in the past, he is the one who helped free Zeus from the chains that Hera put him in when she was going to overthrow him. So like when I did a game of retribution and I played upon the uh, labors of Heracles I was like that would be the first labor Hera would choose because she wants revenge because she's trying to overthrow Zeus again so wouldn't of course wouldn't she start with that so her first labor to Hades in this book is to kill that giant um my other favorite one is the polecat named Gale <laughs> and uh it's just a, it's a tiny myth of like Akate being irritated at this witch and turning her into a polecat <laughs> and, I, and I just think it's so funny and so I <laughs> I just like went back and wrote it into the book because I thought that that's a fun that really illustrates Akate's personality too if you irritate her she's going to turn you into yeah. an animal yeah. or whatever she chooses and so yeah it's just little things like that that are just like 
that they're all like in my brain somewhere. And while I'm writing, I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. I'm going to do that. It's kind of, it's very whimsical almost. <laughs> yeah. But I love it because like for me, those, it's those details in books that like make a story, like that make it stand out. And it's like often when I finish like a series, I won't necessarily remember like the whole plot or all of the characters, but you'll remember that little nugget of thing yeah. that really made you smile or like that made you go, oh my God, she's a fucking genius or whatever, you know? Like I wish, I, I, I wish that more people probably knew that. Um, what I was referencing, especially with like the giant that had to die first, like, in, but I'm like, mm, unless you're really interested in mythology, you're not going to know it. You're not going to, and it's fine. It's just like in my brain, I'm like, ha you are brilliant. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I do that. So I write nonfiction and, uh, I, because, uh, basically when I came to learning how to write, I got really pissed off that all of the craft books are really dry. So I was yeah. like, I am going to write everything that I've learned in a book. And I put dick jokes, sarcasm, and like naughty <laughs> swear words in all of my books. But I also, will play on like cert- certain things. And I'm always like, is anyone going to notice? Is anyone going to And like, I, there was, there are a couple that I put in specifically for people and uh, they didn't get it, but I like told them and then they were like, yeah, yeah, you, that was well played, well fucking played. And I was like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to say it afterwards. Yeah. I always try to explain a little bit of my ideas in the author's note because that way, at least, like, if you read it, you're going to be like, oh, you are clever. Or maybe yeah. you'll just be like, I hate you. I don't know. But I, <laughs> but I mean, what I want to, like, what I usually like to say is that, you know, a lot of thought does go into these books. And like all of, all authors put a lot of thought into their books. And and so it, it's hard sometimes when people can diminish it into something that they feel is so shitty. And not all books are for everyone. But still, once again, I think, um, I think the best reviews come from a place of, acknowledging hard work and uh that's always nice at least when someone says you know yeah yeah yeah. completely agree speaking of hard work some of my favorite sex scenes are in your books (laughs) I think they're fantastic (laughs) um and I've read both uh King of Battle and Blood and A Touch of Darkness and like oh my god the tension that you build between your two characters is exquisite so like how just I need can you just like offload your entire fucking brain right now and tell me how you do that um like like, I'm not helpful at all I don't know (laughs) I don't I think I do think some of it's in word choice like uh like uh, I don't know some of it's like in word choice and how like how I don't know it's very interesting um I'm so bad at telling people how to do things and everyone's always like will you teach a a thing on like all of this stuff and I'm like I have no idea how to tell you how to do this um I feel like the characters I write are very strong-willed and um you know, uh, I can use King of Battle and King Queen of the Monsters is my most recent right, so that's probably as old as probably who I'm most like in my head right now. But you know, she's very angry and very determined. And I, you know, I thought maybe like when I started from like chapter six, like having them have sex, like how do you continue tension after that? But it's so easy because they're so angry. Like, you know, she is so angry and she is so hurt. And I think like, that's probably the the goal is to make sure you touch on those emotions and how they feel like you can be in the presence of someone that you, that irritates the fuck out of you and still like want to 
fuck them. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> so I just try to focus on that. Like what, what are they feeling constantly? One time I was uh, doing a critique group for when stars come out actually. And the feedback I got was that my writing didn't have enough emotion. And I took that to heart. And so every book I started to read after that, I paid attention to how uh, the author incorporated emotion and, and what, like what different things feel like. And sometimes you have to take yourself to kind of really dark places to figure out what something feels like. And, um, and so now it's just part of my editing process. When I go in, there's just like, I just spend that whole thick time going through and adding these layers of feeling. And I think it is probably one of the reasons why people react so emotionally to all the scenes that I write, or I hope they do at least. I don't know what the impact is. <laughs> Honestly, I just know like how I feel when I try to write them. And then I hope that you feel the thing I'm trying to communicate. Uh, whether yeah. that's like sadness or arousal. <laughs> well, <laughs> angry women are literally my favorite fucking thing, which is probably why I loved King of Battle and Blood so much. Yeah. Like, I am an angry woman. Like, I will fucking roll. I am like, angry too. Yeah, yes, yes. You are. Yeah, I yeah. love it. You know, I love it. Queen of the Monsters was definitely like KBB was something that was is very was started out as something that was very fun for me because I needed a break from Greek mythology, but <sighs> like Queen of Myth and Monsters became this like angry commentary on the patriarchy and how the world it's like and how like the world has taken so much from women and people who give birth and it's just the most frustrating thing um and you know it's not only women I think it's the BIPOC communities it's it's any minority community um and it's so strange because if you put all of us together we're the majority yeah. And so it's kind of that journey toward, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's completely true. And uh, like, I honestly think that women are their most attractive when they are angry. And like, and, and I don't, and I, I don't, I don't necessarily mean that. Sec- I mean, I do mean it sexually, but I also don't mean it sexually. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, I also mean it like intellectually, because like, I feel like female anger is suppressed like we are not allowed to yeah. be angry like it is yeah, we're told yeah, yeah we're told like behave. We're sensitive yeah step yeah. in line yeah, we're like too sensitive yeah, yeah. and, and it's, i it's i think a lot of our power comes from being angry a lot of yeah. our power comes from the things that people tell us like are too sensitive or ju- you know your intuition is you can't make decisions based on feeling i think those elements are very magical to us and when they're oppressed like, you know, then you, you lose that magic, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. Everything that's happening in the world right now is very frustrating. It is. It really is. And, and kind of thinking along those lines of like power imbalance and power play, like that is some of the things that I really love. And you've got Hades, who's this all powerful God, and you've got Persephone, who is a little brain around the ears. She's, she's young. She's, you know, fresh. Um, and, and, yeah, she's a bubba. but, um, it's, 
you know, and so there is a power imbalance, but actually it's still extremely um, cleverly done. There, there's a, there is a power, there's kind of power, dominance, submission, and kind of, but there's also consent in there. And um, like, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. How, how can you do it artfully? How can you have that power and balance, which let's be honest, a lot of readers really enjoy reading. Like we all yeah. love it, but actually still do it sensitively in a way that it's consensual. And yeah, I don't know if you can just talk a little bit around that. I think you kind of answered it though, because I, I feel like the power and balance has to be consensual. Um, but also, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times I feel like a lot of times in books, and I don't mind this, but anytime like the person in power doesn't let the the other person, the partner be, I think that's like when, when we have an issue. And there are parts of Hades that are very domineering, and um, but he always tries to encourage Persephone to be the best. Or, you know, to be like, he doesn't, his, uh, he does not understand why she doesn't want to be a goddess. And she definitely tries to communicate that to him. They really suck at communication. Um, but I think in the end, like he's trying, like they're both trying their best. Um, and sometimes that's all we can ask from people. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel like the consent element, especially in a Hades and Persephone retelling is very important because of the source of the myth. And a lot of the internet gives way to a lot of opinions on what the myth actually entails. In Greece, they do teach the myth as Hades and Persephone fell in love, but that's like us teaching that Christopher Columbus discovered America. We know that he murdered indigenous people uh, instead. Uh, so, you know, I think that consent in a story about Hades and Persephone is a really big deal. I, I do think gods, like traditionally Greek gods, are not about consent at all. So you have to have a balance there when you write all of them. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I just hope that I do it well. I think I do try to be really intentional about sort of a, a balance and a give and take and, and take them on a journey where they're actually learning, even with, with the communication elements. A lot of times people in this community talk about how that's a trope. And I'm very vocal about how um, communication issues are very real. And we, we're not all blessed to live in a family that encouraged communication. A lot of us were raised to be silent or were punished if we spoke up. So as an adult, we have to learn how to talk to people. And I am 32 years old and I still can't communicate very well, right? Like, you know, so... <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you're I speaking think, to a Brit. We have stiff upper lips. We don't, uh, yeah. we don't, you know, we don't fucking cry right. in we public. Don't, we, we don't, don't do, do, okay. yeah. do emotions. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, you know, it, it's interesting because the, uh, the the women who read my books tend to just hate, hate, hate on Persephone. And and, and Hades does the same stuff, though. Like, he, he, uh, he does not do any better than Persephone does at communicating. And when you read his side, you can really tell. Except that, you know, they, they'll take that and they'll say, well, like, Persephone didn't, uh, like, I just think of all the things Hades is going through and Persephone doesn't know about it. And I'm like, yeah, well, what, what about all the shit she was going through? Like, what, what are you trying to say? Like, I will be, that's the hill I will die on. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that anytime I read a book where there's not consent, because I think sometimes 
um, it's very difficult for me to read a book where there isn't consent and a book that is called dark romance, but is, um, you know, essay. I can't do that. And I, I don't think that is a healthy, I don't think that's healthy. I don't think relationships that spring from essay are, you know, healthy. I think like that is traumatic. I think that's trauma bonding. Um, so yeah, so I just, I just think that like those you know, I feel like I'm butchering this answer because I'm no, like, no, I think you're answering it beautifully. It. <laughs> no, no, I think you're answering it beautifully. And like that, that's the thing. I think um, a lot of books that tread on the lines of um, dominance and submission and power imbalance get slated because people assume that um, they are promoting something that they deem negative, but actually, if there's consent then right. that is the point and, and yeah and that's the thing you that know. bugs me that people need to stop slating books where there is consent they are both consenting like because then I think right. it's okay right like if they're both right. consenting I mean I guess if it's dubcon like I don't read yeah. books with dubcon because no. it's not my it's not my thing it, it can be other people's thing but dubious consent is iffy for me I think it has to be verbal yes consent it can't be like it can't be like my mind was saying no and my body was saying yes because you're still saying no like you know mm-hmm. it could be one thing to be like I shouldn't like as old as like I shouldn't want this but I definitely do and yeah. her body is respond you know it's I think there's like that kind of balance like you know just making sure that it's clear you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you because you have to also remember that whether or not whether you want to or not these like 14 year old girls are going to read these books so what are you communicating to them Mm-hmm. um and you know it is a library and I guess I think about that I don't mind that a 14 year old reads my book but I think we have to be careful about what we're communicating and s- some ways to do that are trigger warnings which mm-hmm. I am a huge fan of and I think that you should always let your reader choose whether mm-hmm. if you're going to write dark topics you should always let your reader choose to read it or not yeah yeah absolutely Okay, so you have got a absolutely fucking monstrously sized uh, fandom, which is incredible. And so I just, I, just wondered, I just wondered if we could talk a little bit about how you did that. Like, how did you nurture and grow like your fandom? I think honestly, it was like setting out to be authentic and and who I was, and like sharing parts of me with people that were. I mean, I, I don't, I get in trouble sometimes because I'm just really honest with people. And, and I've noticed sometimes that depending on who you are, you don't like it. And I'm like, that's okay. But this is who I am. Like, I can't apologize for being honest. Um, and most people appreciate it every now and then you get someone who doesn't, but I think that was a big part of it. Um, making genuine connections with people. And I still like to do that even when I, when I can and I spend a lot of, I try to spend a lot of time with my readers when they're face-to-face with me at signings, which has become a lot easier than trying social media. Um, but building it too, I think, you know, I tried a lot of different things. I would, to gain a readership, it was, I would post, um, in the early stages, I would post quotes on Pinterest, um, and Tumblr. And I, uh, would I also, when my book was published, some people think I'm a Wattpad author. The reason they do is because I would put a preview of my book on Wattpad to hopefully drive people to buy it on Amazon. And for a long time before 
the readers on TikTok sort of took control. Um, a lot of people would say they found my book on Pinterest, which was very interesting. So, you know, when I started my Instagram account in 2018, I had no followers because like, none of my, not even my friends knew I started it. So I, I started from zero to, to get to like 70K or whatever now. And it grew really fast. So I, I think it was just a combination of, of stuff. And sometimes I do think publishing is about timing as, as shitty and annoying as that is, you know, because we talk about that all the time. Like, I, I think about this all the time in the traditional world, because not even if, if, if the traditional world could guess what was going to be a big hit, they would have only big hits and they don't <laughs> and they drop people they don't deem worthy you know like we see this with Colleen Hoover now right because she you know she got popular back in like 2014 and then you know she's selling a lot and then she turned back to self-publishing and now she's having all her books relaunched in tra the traditional market um so I, I just think that is very a very interesting thing. I, I always want to mention too, like Light Lark is an interesting study in how the publishing industry almost like it's almost like they tried to force that book to be a blockbuster hit, and the backlash was huge. So I'm curious to see how the sequel does because I the reason the first book did so well is because of all publicity is good publicity. So I'm curious to see if we have a Zenith situation where, do you remember that? I don't know if you remember that, but Zenith by Sasha Alsberg and Lindsay Cummings was like one of those things where they, you know, it did what they self-published it, uh, like two chapters, like it was a huge deal. So a publisher picked it up, it got on the New York Times bestseller list, huge backlash against it. And then this, no one heard anything about the sequel. So I'm curious to see how that goes I watch this stuff because I'm I'm like what can we learn from it <laughs> and you know yeah it's very interesting yeah very I, interesting. because that's only recently been published right because I saw the deal go through Lightlark. yeah Lightlark. yeah yeah, yeah uh -huh. I saw the deal go through a while ago um but she guess and it's because of her TikTok right because she blew yeah. up on TikTok yeah that yeah. was it yes yes I do remember yeah yeah, yeah. it's interesting it's like it's it, I think a lot of it is timing and you know, and I think that being a good TikToker doesn't translate to being a good author either. Mm -hmm. So you have to consider like when you're doing this, like, you know, what's your career going to look like? What are your goals? Because if your goal is just like, I want to write a book for funsies, that's chill too. But, you know, if you want to make a career out of it. And this is the interesting thing, isn't it? Because so many indies are very pure preoccupied with doing the marketing doing the being present on social media but every mm -hmm. five minutes every 20 minutes every hour you spend on social media is an hour you didn't write words and like do you want to be TikToking in five years time or do you want to be writing books in five years time and like there is there is a balance to be had because you know one of the benefits that Obviously, you know, one of the benefits of being an indie is that we can pivot to TikTok. We can pivot to, I don't know, fucking Snapchat or whatever, Pinterest. We can pivot to these places and do these things. But it's trying to remember that the core bit of our job is the words. And if we are not doing the words, we are not building the career at the end of the day. And it's and it's it's very it's tricky. It is it is I'm I don't I still don't have the balance right, if I'm honest. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> But I'll tell you the first time I went, the, 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 the only time I was ever told your job is writing when I went traditional. 
because like up until that point, you know, you have a lot of jobs, like it's your job to figure out these contracts for foreign publishers. It's your job to market. It's your job to engage with readers. It's your job to be a technical assistant when they can't figure something out. Like you have a lot of responsibilities as an indie author. And the first time anyone ever told me like your job is to write books was when I went traditional. That's so interesting. How do you do that? I don't know how to do that. And you know, they're (laughs) so slow. Traditional is so slow. I get so frustrated. I just do shit myself because I'm like, you know, when you keep, when you're an indie author, it's more than just like, there's a stigma around being an indie author that if you aren't, if you couldn't, you're an indie author, if you couldn't get traditionally published. But uh, the, the reasons for not being traditionally published are so varied. I never queried. I just went indie from the start. And it also doesn't mean that your book wasn't good enough to be traditionally published. It could just mean that they don't, they believe in you. They don't know how to, a lot of times it's like, well, we don't know how to position it, which they don't, they didn't know how, they would have never known how to position a touch darkness. They still don't because my books are compared to Sarah J. Mass. And I think that's a stupid comp. Like I don't, I, I shouldn't say a stupid comp, but it doesn't make any sense. You're not preparing people for my books because I don't think I write anything like Sarah J. Mass. Um, so I, I just think that's very interesting. And you know. are you, are you hybrid now or are you purely traditional? No, just traditional. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I miss being an indie author in a lot of ways. There's a lot of benefit to being traditional. I will tell you that the bookstore situations the bookstores are set up for traditional and they will never be set up any other way. Mm-hmm. And especially everyone has this misconception that indie bookstores uh, would take on indie authors. And that is not true because they have to make shelf space count. So if they can't sell your books or prove that they can sell your books. They will not carry your books. Mm-hmm. Um, I also saw this very interesting TikToker. I think she's trying to be like a publishing know-how, but she was like, it's easy to get on the New York Times bestseller list. And she's like, all you have to do is have a publisher behind you. And I'm like, that is fucking false. And if you think that's the truth, you, I mean, you are, you are misleading a whole bunch of people because the New York Times bestseller list is not a fucking bestseller list. It is a, for, it's a proprietary formula. Yeah. That is not a bestseller list. And the it's edited. list is legit, legitimately like a bestseller list. Wait, which one? Sorry. USA Today is legitimately right. a bestseller list. Yeah, yeah. But I just thought, I was like, there's a lot of misinformation out here. Like, why are you talking? And then inevitably, an indie author comments and says, how oh. do I get on it if I'm indie? And I'm like, there's no chance for you. There is no chance. Oh, it's so controversial. <laughs> All right, I can't believe we're running out of time. Gutted. But I'm going to ask you uh, one more important question before I ask you the ultimate podcast question. Uh, so... You have a big audience. How do you, you, you've talked a lot about like the positive attention and the negative attention that you've received. So how do you keep your mental health healthy? How do you protect yourself? What kind of boundaries do you put in place in order to to help you continue writing, which is as your traditional publishers have said, your job. (laughs) My job. job. Um, You know, it's a combination of things. When I took away tagging, I no longer, it was tagging and messaging. I no longer had anxiety opening my social media apps. Um, You know, I journal for myself, for my mental health. I work out for my mental health. Um, Recently, like my big focus has been like, I'm going to do right what I want and love it. And all that matters is me. And if you want to come along for the ride, you're more than welcome to. 
but if you don't like my books, then I'm just, I'm not for you. And I don't want to be for you. Like, please, if you hate any of my books, don't pick up another one. <laughs> just don't, just don't do it. It's probably best for both of us. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, I think the hard part, the sad part is so many authors are in this business for a long time and you can tell they get very jaded. I don't want to be jaded. I want to love my work and I want to, I want to want to interact with readers. The reality is, is I find like, sometimes I'm afraid and I don't trust them when they come face to face with me because I've had people who are excited to meet me and later they're bashing me on the internet, right? <laughs> so, so I don't trust people and I, you know, so there's a, there's an element of like, you know, when you're face to face with someone like, do you really like my work? Are you being genuine? Because I work really hard to be genuine with people and I thought people would do the same with me and it turns out they don't. <laughs> so <clears throat> I think you have to keep your expectations in check. Um, you have to remember that you have to create a safe circle around you um, mm. because those are the people that you're always going to be able to trust and go to. And anyone outside of that is not someone you can trust. Uh, and that was a hard lesson for me. It's a very hard lesson for me, especially like no one on social media is truly your friend. They're a reader and that's all they can be. And I hate that. You know, I would love to be friends with all my readers. Um, but you don't know those people. And it sounds really negative, but but that's a boundary, right? It's a boundary that you have to maintain uh, for your safety um, and, you know, for your sanity. I have a lot of people, because I'm from Oklahoma, which is like, we're, we're Southern-ish, you know, we're technically in the Midwest, but we're a very Southern mentality. And, you know, it's like, everyone's here, here's like, we're all friends, you know? So people will message me from Oklahoma and be like, can we get coffee? And I'm like, no, like, I know. I know you think that we're Okies, like, and you know, this should be chill, but like, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. Um, and it made me feel bad at first. And now I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> um, cause I, you know, I love people. And then on the flip side, I'm very cautious and very suspicious of people. And, um, but you know, people teach you how to treat them and people have taught me that. And uh, so when you're a writer and, or anything, even a as a librarian, I saw the good and the bad, and it's it's the same here. You know, I had to put boundaries in place when I was a librarian. I had to put boundaries in place here. It's harder here because there's more people, um, but I'm still working on it. It's a it's a it's a thing. I'm sure you can tell. You can tell it's like a very difficult thing for me. It, it, but I think it's uh, yeah. I think it is difficult. The 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 bigger your platform gets, the the harder those boundaries have to be. I think it's it's it almost mimics like growing up in a way because oh. I think as we grow older, we realize that some of the some of the people we thought were friends are actually just acquaintances. Some of the, yeah. you know, and that social circle gets smaller and smaller. I know, like, as a mom, like, as a queer mom, um, I was ousted out of uh, multiple groups for being gay and a mom. Like, it was, you know, and that that was like a real, that was a real reality check. Because I think I'd been quite privileged up to that point that, like, you know, yeah. You because you were in a safe circle. At, Right, exactly. You know, yeah. you, you you get a bit of homophobia here and there, but I hadn't 
really experienced actual hate until that point. And that was like quite um, shocking to me. And like my wife is very uh, perceptive about people. And she's like, that's a bad person. You don't want to be their friend. Because I'm like, I love everyone. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, let's, you know. I'm like that too. Yeah. And and I have had to really, really learn to reel it the fuck in. Because I... I'm glad you have that person because like I had that person tell me like with different people like that person's not your friend and isn't it devastating oh my god it hurts so much like I've had to learn it over and over again yeah I do feel stupid I feel naive and I'm like how come I can't see that because you know I do just place my trust in people and then like I've been backstabbed or I've been hurt and like it it continues to happen I am definitely getting better at it because of my wife um she should have been a copper like I'm not she should have been a copper like for real she should have been a police like that person's a robber and you're like how do you know (laughs) like the amount of times we've been in a shop and she's like that guy's like stealing or whatever and she'll go and tell security and fucking I shit you not they are are. yeah yeah seriously she should have been a copper yeah it's unbelievable she should be a spy maybe she is yeah maybe she is I've never heard a book about this yeah I think it's just it's really hard because it hurts your feelings because you yeah. want to you know I would I want to talk but this what I realized recently is the whole reason I did this is I dreamed of the day I could fangirl with my readers about my books and you know and that's night na- in a lot of ways that's naive because you are going to have people who just hate you. Right. And it's like, and people just hate me. I have people who like, who just don't like me. And I'm like, you don't even know who the fuck I am. Right. Um, I always call myself Marmite. I don't know if you guys have Marmite over there, but people either love me or hate me. And there is definitely no in between. Like that is it. It's either love or hate. Like, and that's the end of it. But I think a lot of that stems from jealousy. I think a lot of people think that like, you know, I, I, anytime someone doesn't like my book, I'm like, then write it, write one, write one now, like write, write it, try Mm. to do this, try to do this and then receive the feedback you're giving to other people. And the one thing I love to see is when someone who wants to be an author is the one hate reading or like, maybe not hate reading, but just like negatively reviewing books on a public platform, Mm -hmm. because I believe that what you put into the universe, you get back 10 times, which means you are putting out there the negativity you will receive when you publish a book. I just, that's a belief system that I own, (laughs) that I have. Maybe you don't believe that, but I think you'd be very careful about what you put out there. Yeah, Um, I I completely agree. I feel like I'm really negative. I'm like, I'm really generally a positive person, but I, I just think there's a lot of caution that goes into being an author. And like I said, ignorance was bliss. I loved when I just was like, a fairy floating through life and being like everything is great and, and I have I'm this still idea, that in my head <laughs> yeah in my head I'm like yes when I when I am in my space in my circle and safe yeah. but I dread releases like I dread releases I dread people like you know I hate the the idea of like people being like this book is overhyped because when, when that happens you know like people just don't like you because you're you're in their face all the time and it's like okay well <laughs> I didn't hype myself up. People did. So, you know, yeah. yeah. So that's a balance. It is. And it is difficult. And we are all still learning. Um, Okay. Right. This is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. (laughs) Oh, God. 
(laughs) Everybody without exception hates this question, but I have to ask it every time. (laughs) Man, I feel like anytime I open my fucking mouth, it's like a, (laughs) I say something that I, (laughs) I got in trouble for this. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'll tell you anyway. Yes. One time this this bookstore, I won't name names. <clears throat> this, this is the, I don't know why this comes to mind. One time this bookstore um, posted this list of recommendations. And for mine, they said, have we read it? No, but is the cover gorgeous? And I replied and I said, thank you for the glowing and stars recommendation because I thought it was silly for a bookstore and booksellers to recommend my book without having read it. And I say that as a librarian who had to recommend books all the time that I hadn't read, but I never admitted that I never read a book because, I mean, I I knew the talking points. I knew which parts of it, like, you know, I could pitch to someone. So at least fucking pretend. So I got in trouble and I had to delete the tweet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because, you know, they were like, be nice to booksellers. And I'm like, here's the thing, like, respect me and I'll respect you. Yeah. You know, yep. like, I just thought that was kind of silly. And, you know, maybe I'm being too, I, I think it's because this particular bookstore had been like, was a like supposedly like a huge supporter of mine. So like, how can you be a supporter and not have read my book? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I am a big, like, honestly, like if you don't read my work and you want to interview me, I will probably say no, because what what what's so what's fun about that there's nothing fun about that um so to my publicist she she hate my answer the stuff I say about the New York Times is probably like yeah they'll probably be like they'll probably just blacklist me you can cut Uh, that from (laughs) oh I love it you have been blacklisted the reason I'm so pissy about that is because they have black like they have black they actually I was supposed to make the New York Times with, uh, I think with KVB, but definitely with the game of retribution. I can't. It just, and because I, of their formula, I was supposed to hit 15 with retribution. I hit 20 on the USA Today list. I was supposed to hit 15 on the New York Times. So this is this is stupid. this is yeah. I I would be very spiteful and petty about I it. Am, well. I, I would be so pissed. <laughs> I get I get in a lot of trouble, but I have a lot of feelings, and I I think that the publishing the traditional publishing world is a dying industry, and I think that the only reason they're successful right now is they're picking up a bunch of self published authors, and yep. they are looking to make quick cash, and it pisses me off yeah 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 well you fit right in on the rebel of the podcast <laughs> thank you so so much for your time i literally this is one of my favorite episodes ever i can't tell you how how much of an honor it has been to speak to you um so thank you so so much would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and anything else that you would like to add yes i have to look up my tiktok or my um Instagram, because I keep, I forget the order that the words are in. I'm on Instagram at author Scarlett St. Clair and TikTok at the same handle. I post more on Instagram. Uh, Subscribe to my newsletter because we treat it like a Patreon, except it's free. So you get a bunch of sneak peeks of art and I will send you stuff I'm working on and things like that. 
and uh, my website is scarletstclair.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to the fucking spectacular Scarlett St. Clair. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Hayley Milliman, and we are going to be talking all about line editing. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.